Good afternoon, everyone. This is Janice Allen Jackson with another edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more informed voter and a more engaged citizen. Today, we have the special privilege of my first repeat guest. He is Burke County Sheriff Alfonso Williams. He is a repeat guest because he has accomplished another major feat, and that is writing another book. Uh, the last time he was here with us, he talked about Not Here to Be Served, which is the memoir of a peace officer. Uh, this time around, he's going to talk about police on policing um, and candid conversations on the status of law enforcement. So uh, how are you doing today, Sheriff Williams? I'm very well, Ms. Jackson. Thank you so much for having me. And, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the program. Yes, and I appreciate having you. Last, uh, the last show you did with us was one of our more popular shows. Uh, I got comments afterwards saying, you know, he explained things in a way that made me think about things that I hadn't thought about, uh, which is really the purpose of this show is to help people think. Uh, we don't tell you what to think, but we want to help you factor in those key considerations so that you can make your own decisions about what you're going to do. So I appreciate you being an integral part of that for Local Matters. You. Uh, you know, last time you were here, uh, you actually sent me the book after we met, uh, and I had a chance to, to read, didn't read everything word for word, but I caught a good bit of it. Uh, that book, in some ways, is a professional book. You talk about your experiences handling certain investigations, uh, and you talk about why you made some of the career moves that you did. Uh, you also show us how to make your famous pound cake. Yes. Is that yes. right? Are you a big time yes. baker? I uh, I enjoy baking pound cakes. I got that from my mother, who who always, as a way to uplift people, she uh, who were in bereavement or otherwise down on their luck, she would bake a pound cake for them, and I picked up that uh, that habit from her. And uh, uh, it's just a part of not uh, here to serve mankind and not to be served. All right, great. And you also talked about uh, some of the struggles of a young officer, uh, getting your dream job, and then financially it wasn't as much money as you really thought it was going to be, and how you had to resolve those issues in your personal life. And you also talked about some of the struggles associated with being a new officer from a professional standpoint. Uh, it took me back to the days when I was an assistant city manager in Albany. Uh, there was the first time that I had overseen public safety services because before then I had been on the human services side. And um, the police chief said, you know, you ought to sit in on our screening process and see what happens when we bring in uh, new people um, and people who think they want to become officers. I want you to see the interview process. So I said, sure. I sat with a couple of uh, seasoned captains for a day while they did their initial interviews with people who wanted to be uh, officers. And the first question they would start with is, could you use a gun to protect your life or the life of another? And when I thought about that, I was like, mm, I know I couldn't interview for this job because that would be a problem for me. And one of the next things I found out was a problem for uh, new recruits is this whole idea of EVOC. Can you explain what EVOC is? Yes, thank you. Uh, EVOC is uh, Emergency Vehicle Operations Course, and it's a uh, highly stressful, highly intensified uh, 
driving program that new recruits are put through and some seasoned officers and some agencies are put through this course to help you understand the dynamics of the car that you'll be driving and driving that car under stressful and emergency conditions, under uh, uh, low light conditions. Uh, sim- uh, some of the exercises simulate a child or a ball or a deer running out in front of the officer while he's responding to an emergency call and just helping you understand that you have a duty to use due regard to the, for the safety of other people. And, uh, and, and you get these folks who from the country, much like me, who say, oh, I've been driving on dirt roads all my life, I'll be just fine. And you get in that course and you realize there's so much more to it than understanding uh, how to control uh, a car that might be skidding out of control. It's, it's emergency braking. It's a, it's a 360 cone, yellow, orange cone course where you can't knock over a single cone in that whole exercise and you got to do it within three minutes and, and that's tough. And then there's a braking exercise where you simulate uh, uh, having to, to respond to an emergency and then a, a child runs out in front of you and you got to get that car stopped without hitting that, uh, that child or that, that uh, deer or whatever it is. And so very tough. Uh, I was a police academy director and uh, a lot of students fail. Maybe 30 to 40% of your students will fail out of the academy because they can't get past the driving course. Yeah. All righty. So you got uh, various things that go into being a police officer. And sometimes people ask, what, why do you need all that training? That's one of the reasons, because you have to not just drive a vehicle, you know, you have to know how to operate under emergency conditions. Um, let's talk about the next book of uh, the candid conversations on the status of law enforcement being your subtitle. Um, tell me about those candid conversations. Why is it that you felt like you had to write this book? And um, how did you just arrive at this point where you put it in print? Well, you you may recall that, that I was... Uh featured on CNN uh, to talk about the Brooks case out of Atlanta uh, when uh, Rashad Brooks uh, uh, was being investigated for driving under the influence of of alcohol. And he was uh, in the Wendy's drive-through in Atlanta and was investigated by the police and subsequently uh, taken into custody. He fought with the officers, took a weapon from them uh, and ran away, turned back towards them and fired that weapon, that taser at the officers. And it was right around the same time as George Floyd in Minneapolis and Ahmaud Aubrey in um, uh, down south. Brunswick, uh, Brunswick. And so um, it was a it was it was an interesting time to speak out about police uh, and use of force. Uh, and I, uh, I did speak out on CNN and, and it caused a storm, uh, during that period of time. And, and so I stopped writing a murder book I'm working on to, to write about the state of policing in America. And so in this book, I've interviewed 15 law enforcement professionals from around the country, some here in the South, some in the North, some agencies with unions, some without unions, some with hundreds and hundreds of officers, uh, six to 800 officers, and some with uh, 15 officers. And we, we get a real perspective 
from law enforcement professionals about the state of law enforcement in America. What's happening? What this police community disconnect? Do you believe in Black Lives Matter? Would you take a knee if, if you were asked to by the Black Lives Matter movement uh, during a protest? Um, how can we improve um, law enforcement training to make it more relative? In this era of defunding the police, I wanted to hear from professionals on what their mindset was about all these uh, reforms that are being proposed and, and um, uh, jurisdictional matters and, and, and education and training and diversity in the workplace. And so this book addresses all of those issues. Okay, and you say conversation. So does this mean that you actually had conversations with others in your profession um, to come up with uh, what is expressed in this particular book? Yes, yes, without a doubt. We, uh, we interviewed these 15 professionals and asked them all the same questions. We did uh, each one of these interviews uh, via Zoom and then we went back and extracted uh, their responses to these questions. Uh, do you think law enforcement should have better background checks? Do you think we should require better minimal standards? Should there be federal standards? Are you against a national police force? Uh, should we have better retirement? How do we attract better applicants into the law enforcement uh, arena so that we can have better choices and decisions about use of force? How educated should the officer be? Does education matter? Uh, all of those questions are addressed and we uh, extrapolated uh, uh, various responses to put together this book. Okay, very good. So those list, those questions, that list of questions sounds similar to the list of recommendations that you presented to the governor's office a while back? Yes, that is correct. Incorporated some of those things, many of those same things. Yes, ma'am. Okay. okay, all right, very good. Did you get any surprises? Uh, yes, not everybody agrees with, with everything I had to say. Uh, we talked to some chiefs and, and sheriffs who said, you know, education doesn't matter. Training is more important than education. But I, I'd submit to you that the ones who had those responses are the persons without advanced education. Uh, and and uh, so if you have it, you feel the need for it. And if you don't have it, you think it's not necessary. Um, but, but, but then there are other responses. Uh, uh, should we uh, should we require a four year degree for law enforcement officers? Uh, that, 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 there are many studies out there that suggest the more educated you are, the better decisions you make. Uh, so I think we ought to have, require four year degrees, and that way we get away from hiring eighteen to twenty one year olds uh, that have no educa higher education experience. They don't have any life experiences to speak of, and you're giving them all that power at eighteen years old. And, and sending them out into the home of a man who's 50 years old with, with a lot of life experiences and you're asking him to mitigate some domestic dispute between he and his wife. And, and you just don't have the life experiences to make that decision. So, so we talked about uh, those things and for the most part, it's called police on policing, the unsung consensus. We agree on most things, but there are some things that we have that we disagree on. Um, and uh, we, uh, so, so it's, a, it's a great book to read. We, we uh, get diversity in the opinions and uh, I, I highly recommend it. Okay, and, and let me say this, um, 
part question, part uh, just response there. That sounds like something uh, that is extraordinarily interesting to uh, someone like yourself who spent a career in law enforcement, someone like myself who spent a career in and around local government. Do you think it is going to be of interest to say your average run of the mill citizen out here? Is it, is it, is it written for them or is it written for a different audience? It's written for civilians who want to know why we do what we do, why we think the way we think, why we believe what we believe, how we're trained. Um, it'll give some insight and help civilians understand that an agency of 15 persons or 15 law enforcement prof professionals will respond differently than an agency of 600 uh, law enforcement professionals, and you'll get an inside look at how different we are in, in terms of training around the United States. You would think every police officer would be required to learn the same things, just like every doctor would be required to know the same things. And you'll find that that's not so. It's just not the case. You would think training would be consistent throughout law enforcement in America, and it's not. It's vastly different depending on where you are. Uh, if, if you're in Albany, Georgia, where, where you're from uh, and where you governed, uh, you get a lot more, you get eight weeks of police training with a, with a professional who's been in the business for a while. If you're in uh, Waynesboro, Georgia or Wadley, Georgia, you might get two weeks and then sent out with a badge and, and a gun and said, go do the job. And, uh, and, and so you can see the disconnect and, and, and how, differently uh, we, we think and train. Yeah, there's obviously a huge- So not only mm -hmm. Go ahead. civilians, but for uh, the new police recruit who, who has just finished the, the police academy, but he has no idea what this business requires. And so the book is for him to pick up and to understand what professionals around the country have to say about law enforcement and, and what we should be doing and helping him or her to navigate uh, these treacherous waters uh, when we hear in the news about defunding police and when we're trying to get recruits to come into law enforcement, they're not there anymore. It's difficult. In fact, in the next few weeks, we're going to have a civilian uh, targeted uh, job fair where we're just trying to target civilian folks right here in Burke County to come and join law enforcement because we are so desperate because we can't get certified officers to come and apply with what's going on in the country right now. Okay. And speaking of that, that's one of the consequences. That's one of the things that a lot of police departments feared was that as there's more and more uh, uh, backlash against police, uh, some of it, unfortunately, deserved, uh, and I think you would agree with me based upon some of the things that we've sure. seen, um, that yes. it would become extraordinarily difficult to re recruit and uh, retain high-quality individuals who wanted to become law enforcement officers. Have you seen that manifest itself so far? We have, yes. I mean, you, you count back to a, a year ago, Burke County was full. We were the only agency in the central Savannah River area that did not have any openings and we had a waiting list. Fast forward a year later after Brooks and Aubrey and, and Floyd and uh, uh, Rice and, and some of these other cases, 
and the responses that we've seen around the country, we don't have that pool of applicants anymore. People are starting to ask themselves, why would I do this? Why would I get up every day and put my life on the line to have some uh, crazy district attorney who's going to take me before a grand jury to have me indicted when I only had a split second, a half a second to make a decision about a life and death situation? Now I'm, I'm being uh, paraded in front of a grand jury and I face losing my family and going to jail for doing what I have been trained to do. Now, the flip side of that is we have bad officers, and one bad officer is too many in our profession. So uh, we have got to have some level of accountability uh, as well. And, and so it's, it's, it's tough, and people are uh, deciding, I, I don't need to do this for $35,000 a year. I can go do something else. Okay. Okay. And have you seen uh, people also resign? Have you had more resignations or just not enough new people coming in to fill the slots? Not enough new, but we've had some folks who have, who have looked at, the, at what's going on and to say, I, I've got to get out of this. I've got to go do something else. I never thought I'd see the utter disrespect for uh, authority like I'm seeing now. And, and so on both fronts, it's, it's happening, it's occurring. People are leaving this to decide I'm going to do something else. I'm just not going to put my life in the hands of a politician who will be this way today and on this side of the equation today and on the, the other side of the equation tomorrow if it's most beneficial to them. Okay. Uh, and as we uh, talk about that, um, I want to segue into the recent district attorney's race. I think most of our audience knows that we are in the Augusta circuit. So even though you're in Burke County, Burke, Richmond, Columbia, the three counties together form the Augusta circuit. And that circuit uh, includes electing a district attorney as well as our superior court judges. And we just had a, a change in uh, district attorney, we'll have uh, Jared T. Williams coming in. Um, and I know various sheriffs on the circuit in those three counties on the circuit, um, current and former, uh, some made recommendations or endorsements uh, for those candidates. Um, how, uh, and you you did endorse uh, the incumbent, Ms. Payne. Um, can you tell us why you felt like that was important to do? Yes, yes, of course. Look, I got to know Natalie Payne in January 2017 when I took office. I did not know her prior to that and I knew of her and I knew that she worked at the district attorney's office. She spent the last 12 years there and worked under uh, Ashley Wright before she became a Superior Court judge. And then she, she took over the office. Uh, she was appointed by the governor. And, uh, and then ran unopposed and, and uh, so uh, served an unexpired term and then ran unopposed. But I supported Natalie because she has been a very, very hardworking uh, uh, district attorney. She has come out on the scenes of, of, of uh, crimes to assist us and to guide us and to give us uh, uh, advice on what she needs to have a successful prosecution. She is a victim's uh, district attorney. She believes in representing them fully. She, she's pretty tough. She's pretty tough on cases. She's pretty tough on, on sentencing recommendations. And, um, and I think some took offense to that. 
uh, if, if you're a victim, you would appreciate it. If you're a defendant, maybe not so much. But uh, I, Natalie had the ability to navigate cases and to understand that we need to lock away those persons that we are afraid of, not the ones we're mad at. I watched her do that over the past three and a half years, and she was good at that. And uh, so I supported her. She was a friend and a professional, uh, a professional friend as well as a personal friend. And uh, I've been able to call on her to get help for families of uh, black families and white families. She has been there for us. She has helped us. She has worked with us. She created this cave task force for uh, those persons, elderly persons who were being taken advantage of. That was a very good program that's been modeled in multiple states now, which was started right here in Augusta, uh, the Augusta circuit. I said to Jared Williams 10 months or 11 months or so ago when he started running, I sat down with him in my office face to face and said to him, look, I, I don't have anything against you, but I'm supporting the person that has supported me for the past three and a half years. I wish you well. We shook hands on that. I agreed not to do anything to hurt him, but I was going to support the person that had been uh, working with me for the past three and a half years. I pledged to work with him if he won, which we will do. We'll put our differences aside. But I just didn't, people that find it strange to believe that a, a Democratic sheriff would cross over and vote for a Republican, a white female Republican DA, I just don't understand why. If it, it, She was with me for three and a half years. I'm not going to abandon her just because a black person enters the race. That that's that's not uh, representative of who I am as a person. Uh, uh, if Jared had already been there and he was working with me, I would have supported him. It just happens to be that Natalie was there and uh, we had that relationship. And you do anticipate uh, building the relationship with a new sheriff, just because, I mean, with a new DA, just because that's somebody you didn't endorse previously, you don't think that's a hindrance in terms of building relationships now, right? No, no, certainly not. No, and 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 no. I, even during the campaign, uh, I was asked to call him to reaffirm that I would do nothing to harm him and that uh, I would work with him. And I made those calls even after we had initially spoken in person. Uh, I've talked to him twice since that in-person meeting to say, not going to do anything to hurt you. We're here to work with you. Uh, look, the DA has to take the cases that the sheriff or the chief sends to him, and he has to prosecute them. And as long as he's being a responsible prosecutor who's supporting law enforcement when we're right, when we're right, holding us accountable when we're wrong, supporting victims of crime, and helping us move the goalposts forward, then then we can work together. And I don't anticipate any problems whatsoever. I'm easy to get along with. All right, great, great. I just wanna make clear everybody understands that there needs to be a good working relationship between the sheriff's offices in the circuit and the district attorney. Uh, and you're gonna do everything you can to make sure that that happens. Um, we are almost at our closing time. I do want you to uh, tell our listeners where they find your books. Yes, both of my books, Not Here to Be Served and Police on Policing the Unsung Consensus can be found on Amazon.com. Uh, the, the, the memoir of a police officer is available in paperback or hardback. And the Police on Policing the Unsung Consensus is available on uh, paperback. The books are $20 each. 
and uh, we would appreciate your support. And uh, I think they're fun reads and um, we, uh, we appreciate your shining a spotlight on what we're doing. And we're just trying to share our expertise and reignite passion and people to, to journal every day and then write your story. Uh, for eight years, I wanted to write a book and, I, and everybody that I asked about how to do it, they just said, start writing. And so finally, after visiting an Oprah Winfrey show with Michelle Obama in New York, back in January of this year, I, my passion was reignited. I decided to establish some, some authority and embrace my profession and write about what I've been experiencing. And I'm hoping that other officers and civilians alike will pick up the book and gain knowledge, stop making excuses, use the book to help you launch your business, put your story in other people's mouths so that they understand. Thank you so much, everybody. This is Burke County Sheriff Alfonso Williams. Hope you've enjoyed listening to him and I know you will enjoy uh, reading his books. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you so much. It is Thanksgiving week here in Metro Augusta. And I know many of us have looked at 2020 and suffered great hardship. And sometimes it's hard to be thankful when we have gone through such things. Uh, we've seen the illness, death, uh, decline of the economy, loss of jobs and things of that nature. Uh, it's tough, but I refer everyone back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, King James Version. It says, in everything give thanks for this of the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So please let us look for reasons to be thankful um, that we're still here, um, be thankful and accept the will of God that has transpired in all of our lives over the course of 2020 uh, as we enter this holiday season. Also, in terms of marking the holiday season, there have been several food giveaways. Uh, one of those giveaways is taking place right now. Uh, it is at the Antioch Baptist Church. This is a joint effort between the Greater Augustus Interfaith Coalition and Black Voters Matter along with Antioch. Um, there is the food giveaway began today at 12 noon and they will be there until all the food has been distributed. Uh, we've got almost 450 boxes of food, includes a hen, some canned goods, some boxed um, food items uh, there for people to pick up if they are in need. Also, uh, there is a special opportunity. They are dubbing this as Voters Day, uh, meaning that there will be opportunities to register to vote if you've not done that already, as well as an opportunity to apply for an absentee ballot. Uh, so this event is set up not only to meet your physical needs, but also uh, address political needs and community needs in our area by giving you a chance to have some influence over what happens in your community. In terms of the uh, voting days, just want to make sure everybody understands that the last day for uh, voter registration for the January runoff is Monday, December 7th. Uh, advanced voting will begin on Monday, December 14th through the 18th. And once again, that advanced voting will be held at Augusta's Bell Auditorium. The Saturday that will include advanced voting is December 19th. Then advanced voting resumes at the Bell uh, Monday, December 21st 
through the 23rd, that's right before the Christmas break, no voting on the 24th and 25th, because that is a holiday for Augusta employees. And then advanced voting also resumes December 28th through December 31st. So if you don't get it done between December 14th and December 31st, that means that you're going to have to vote on election day, which is January 5th. Uh, also, uh, in terms of requesting your absentee ballot, you can do that on a number of different places. You can go to the My Voter page on the Georgia Secretary of State's uh, website. Uh, you can also go to securethevotegeorgia.com. Uh, that takes you directly to the office of the Secretary of State, and you can request your absentee ballot there. I have already taken care of that task, and I hope that uh, you have to or you will do soon because you want to make sure that you get that ballot in time uh, to return it. Uh, thank you so much for being regular listeners on my show. Uh, you can always catch any episode that you missed by going to my website. That is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Uh, you can reach it also by Googling Janice Allen Jackson and Associates LLC. It'll take you straight to my website. Uh, thanks for being with us and I wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.